Thanks for listening to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. Our prayer is that today's message will challenge and inspire you to pursue Jesus and to love people to life. Well, God is good. Amen. Man, I'm excited today. I, I've got so many scripture. You better have your Bible ready today because, I mean, we are going to be in the Word today. Because I'm, the, what I'm going to share with you this morning, the Word of God is going to speak for itself. I'll, I'll say a few things, but let the Word speak to our hearts. Because this morning we're talking about our series on, on no, no turning back. And we realize the audience that uh, the writer of Hebrews was dealing with was a, a people who had gotten saved by faith, but now they were trying to go back under the Old Covenant. And they realized there's no forgiveness under the Old Covenant. Covenant. And so this is what we're dealing with today. And we're talking about a better covenant this morning, a better covenant. How many of you understand we are under a better covenant? How many of you know we don't live by the old covenant? We live by the new covenant. And we're going to talk about some things and share with you this morning some of the benefits of the new covenant. But first of all, let's just jump into Hebrews chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me. I want to tell you, our high priest, our high priest has finished his work. Now look what it says in 8.1. It says, Here's the main point. This is the main point that the writer said. We have a high priest who sits down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. Now, that, that's, a, that's a great statement because I want you to think about this. All the other priests that served in the temple, they, they had to, they, there was no place for them really to sit down. They were making sacrifices day in and day out. And, and, and once a year, they'd go into the most holy place and they make sacrifices for themselves and for the people. But here we find out our high priest, he's not, it's finished. How many of you know when he said at the cross, it is finished, it was done. He's seated in the place of honor today. He's not, he's not having to continue to make sacrifices for us. He we became the ultimate sacrifice. It says, verse 2, it says, There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, a true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. See, our, our priest is in the heavenly place right now. He sits at the right hand of the Father where what the Word of God says, he intercedes for us. He, play, he prays for us or intercedes somehow for us, the Word of God tells us. Now, look, look with me at verse 8 or verse 3, I'm sorry. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must offer one, two. What was his sacrifice? All the other priests would take lambs, goats, whatever, blood of, of heifers and whatever, make these sacrifices. But Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus gave himself for you and I. Think about that. While, the, while you were still not even acknowledging God, God gave his son to die for you, to pay the price for your sin. And so we see that this, this, uh, this high priest, our high priest, offered himself as an offering for us. Think about the old priesthood here just for a second. The old priesthood. Look at what he says in Romans 8, uh, verse 4. If, we were here, if he were here on earth, speaking of Christ, he would not even be a priest since there are already priests who offer gifts required by the law. The, these guys would offer. Now look what it says in verse 5. They served in a system of worship that is only a copy and a shadow of the real one that is in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on this mountain. Everything the priest did was a type and a shadow for Jesus. That's all it was. And they, they were interceding for the people, and they were offering the sacrifices. But Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, and he's seated right there, right now. Jesus is our high priest. He's superior to the old priesthood. Matter of fact, look at Romans, our Hebrews 8, 6. 
It says this, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been a, given a ministry that is superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant based on better promises. Based on, have you ever thought about what are the better promises or some of the better promises? I mean, we read that, but what are some of the better promises that has been given to us as believers? And so, so what is that based on? So I'm going to give you several things this morning. And you're, listen, we're going to cover a lot of words. You need to find the book of Galatians real quick in your Bible. Galatians 3 and 4 and 5. You need to find the book of Romans. And you need to find the book of uh, Corinth, uh, Second Corinth, or 1 Corinthians. Because I'm telling you, we're going to be in that for a few moments. And then we're going to come back and uh, talk about the rest of Romans uh, or, or Hebrews uh, 8. But right now, so what are the better promises that the new covenant is based on. So the first one is this. The law did not provide a way for justification by faith, but the new covenant does. Nobody could be forgiven under the law. Their sins were only covered. They could not be justified. And the word justified, by the way, means that you stand before God as if you had never sinned. I mean, today, because of what Jesus Christ has done, you and I are, if you're a child of God, you are cleansed just as clean as Adam and Eve were before they sinned in the garden. You have been forgiven. Now, look at this. So, the law did not provide for justification. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It'll be up on the board, but it's good to read it for yourself. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under a curse. For the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in the book of the law. So you can't pick and choose. If you're going to be under the law, how many of you got to keep all of the law? And they still can't be made right with God. Some people thought, well, I can be made right with God by just obeying the law. No, you're made right with God through what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now look at this. Look at verse 11. He says, in Galatians 3.11. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. What does that say? No one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Through faith. Through faith in what? Faith in the work of Jesus Christ. That what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now look at this. He said the way of faith is very different from the way of the law. Which says... Now, listen to what the law says. It is through obeying the law that a person has life. You don't have life through the law. Just because you obey the law, it's still not life. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have life. Amen? Now, the other scripture, going back over to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, we covered this last week, but I want to just read this to you. It says, for the law never made anything perfect, but now we have a confident and a better hope through which we draw near to God. God justified us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way. It's only through faith in Christ. The law did not justify anybody. Because why? Every year they had to make atonement for their sin over and over and over again. And even not, also the, the high priest would have to make atonement for their own sin. Their sin was not even covered. And they're the ones that are trying to keep the law. It will never happen. The next thing I want you to see about the law, the law could not impart spiritual life. It could not impart spiritual life, but the new covenant does. Galatians chapter 3, verse, verse 21, look at this. He says, is there a conflict between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. Now look at what he says. If the law could give life, new life, 
we would be made right with God by obeying it. But how many know what he's saying is it could, you could not be made right by the law. The law was never going to make you right and never will make you right. And look, over, look real quick over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, it says, He has enabled us to be ministers of a new covenant. This is a covenant not of written law, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ended in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The law only showed the people how sinful they were. It did not offer new life. It never will and never can. And if you're trying to serve God and, and, and uh, trying to mix the old covenant with the new covenant, it doesn't work. And that's what some of these people, these people were trying to do. There was Judaizers who came into the church in Galatia and also in Hebrews that were trying to get people to leave their faith in Christ, that they accepted faith, but now trying to get them to come back under the law to think that that's going to give them life. It will never give life. It will never give life. The next thing, the purpose of the law was to define and magnify our sinfulness so that we could be driven by faith to Christ. The law reveals sinfulness. Look at this, Galatians 3, 19. Go there, and I told you, it's, we're, it's the word, let the word speak. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their, what? Sins. When you look at, I mean, it, it revealed how sinful we were, and we couldn't live up to it, and God says it's time for a new covenant, okay? But the law was designed, designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised, speaking of Christ. God gave his law through the angel to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Moses mediated this new covenant. Now look at this. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But look at this. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Jesus mediated it for us. Amen. And now look at verse 21. Is there conflict? We read this a few moments, but let's take it in a little bit more context here. If, is there conflict between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of what? Sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Christ. That's the only way you get the freedom. The, the law will never give you freedom. The law will always keep you in bondage. But under Christ, you can find freedom that he gives. Look at verse 23. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. He said, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us. And we, it protected us until we could be made right with God, what? Through faith. The law, the law has helped us to see our need for God and want to know God until Jesus Christ came and fulfilled his purpose. Now look what Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin, more and more God's wonderful grace became more abundant. His, God was gracious to us. He's given his son, Jesus Christ. And we live under a dispensation of God's grace right now. I'm glad that God does not deal with me according to the way he dealt with people under the old covenant. I mean, you messed up under the old covenant. Most likely you were out of here. I mean, you were gone. You were done. Amen. 
But now the word of God says that we have this covenant based on better promises. So understand that freedom comes from Christ, not from the law. Not from the law. The next thing I want you to see is this. The law led to bondage, not freedom. The law led to bondage, not freedom. Go with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. This is going to be, we're going to be here just for a few moments. There's a lot of scripture here. He says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? Do you actually know what the old covenant says? Now look at this. The scripture says that, it says that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from the freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Remember the promise to Abraham that he'd have sons? And all of a sudden, the, the, the promise was delayed. Abraham decided, and Sarah said, why don't you take Hagar, my maidservant, and have a child with her? And maybe that's the way God's going to fulfill it. And that's what Paul's referring to here as the, the, the slave woman. Verse 23, it says, the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the free wife was born as God's own fulfillment to the promise. Now listen, he's, he's using this thing about Hagar and Sarah, helping us to understand the difference between the two laws. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where the people received the law and were enslaved them. The law that what? Enslaved them. Because all of a sudden, before the law, they didn't know what sin was. But once the law was given, it says, man, I've messed up. I can never meet God's requirements. But the law enslaved them. It revealed how sinful they were. Now look at verse 25. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. Still to this day, the, the, people who have not accepted Christ, like especially the Jewish people, they, they're still under slavery. The word of God says because they still practice the old law. We're under a new covenant in Christ. Now look at verse 27. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman. You have never given birth. Break into joyful shout. You who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman who has, the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. That shows the, the, the salvation of the people brought in by faith. Now look at verse 28. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of promise, just like Isaac. Who's children of promise? Who's the children of promise, church? We are the church. He says in verse 29, but you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just like Ishmael, the child born of the hum of, by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But look what he says in verse 30. But what does the scripture say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. You can't, it won't mix. It does not mix, church. Think about that. I mean, there's so much here I could break down and just be on for months, but just think about what the context. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. We're children of the free woman. Listen, he says, verse 5. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting, listen to this, counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you're trying to win God's favor by thinking that you have to do certain things and think, well, if I do this, I'll be made right with God, 
That's like trying to keep the law. You are only made right by your faith in Jesus Christ. He's finished the work. He's done it all. And all he asked you to do is receive him, him by faith and love him and walk with him. Now he says here, he says, verse, verse 2, let's go jump around to verse 3. It's, I'll say it again. He said, this is so important. I'm going to say this again to you. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. If you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. That's a strong statement. He says when you try, he was telling the people in Galatia and also in Hebrews, when you move away from the covenant, the, old, the new covenant, and you try to go back under the old covenant, you've, you've done away with the grace of God. You've fallen, you've fallen away from God's blessings, and you've fallen away from the promises of God. Now look at verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5. But we who love, we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ, Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important? Faith expressing itself in love. Why do I do what I do for Christ? Because of my love for him. Because of what he's done for me. I don't do it to win God's favor. I've already been forgiven. I've already have his favor. I have the blessings of God. I, I, I give because of my love for Christ. I share because of my love for Christ. I get in the word because of my love for Christ. I, I don't do it to say, God, if I do this, am I going to be a better person? If I do this, I, I'm fulfilling something. I've got, I don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. My, we should be expressing it out of our love for him. Amen. And he says in Galatians, he says, you are running the race so well. Who, ha who has helped, held you back from following the truth? These people were abandoning the truth. See, the law, it kept people in bondage. The next thing is the law kept worshipers at a distance from God because of his holiness and their sinfulness. The new covenant invites us to draw near. Now think about this. In Exodus, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but in Exodus 19, you can look it for yourself, 19 verses 12 and 13, and then jump down to verse 21 and 24 in that same chapter, you find out that this is God meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai. As he's meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai, he, God set up boundaries and told the people not to cross those boundaries because if they cross those boundaries because of their sinfulness, they would die. That was just it. They, I mean, even the priests, the high priests, when they, they were fearful about going into the Holy of Holies, because why? Because if they had sin or they think they, their heart was wrong and they're not right with God, they could be struck down. Some legends have it that they tied ropes and bells onto the, the robe of the, of the high priest that the, the, when they went in. If they didn't hear something rattling or hearing the noise of that, it meant something happened to the priest and they'd pull them out of the Holy of Holies. But here... That's what the old covenant showed. It, it, man was not able to draw near to God in that aspect. But under the new covenant, God's invited us because of our relationship with him, him through his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us access into his presence. Look at this. He says in Hebrews 4, 16, we read this a few weeks ago. So let us come boldly to the throne of, of, of the gracious God. There we will receive mer his mercy and we'll find grace to help us in the most, in our times we need it most. God invites us to come. He invites us. Amen. Look at Hebrews 7, 19. It says, for the law never made anything perfect. We read this earlier, but now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. We can come right into his presence. Hebrews 10, 
10.22 says this, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. Now think about this. You got people who one time, they were under Judaism. They knew they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. They couldn't go into that place. Only the priest could do that. And a priest would mediate this for them and take care of their sacrifices. But now God is saying, come into my presence. Here's the deal. When God looks at you and I, he looks at us not because of who we are sinfully. He looks at us through the lens of Jesus Christ. He looks at us through the blood of what Jesus Christ has done because we've been washed in the blood of Christ and Christ is sitting there. And when he looks at your life, he looks at my life, he doesn't see Gary messed up. He sees Gary as the child of God. He sees Gary as his child that he died for. And he's, I, I believe he sees it through the lens of Jesus because Jesus paid it all. He finished it all. He took care of it for me. See, church, he says, let us go come right into your presence. For our guilty conscience has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Man, that's good news today. That's good stuff. See, the old covenant was not able to make a person right, righteous. It couldn't remove sin, and it couldn't justify anyone. So I gave you just a few of the benefits. There's, there's so many in there. You go look in Scripture of the benefits, the difference between the old covenant and new covenant. They don't, they're, they're totally different. Now look at this. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. Look what he says in verse 8 of Hebrews. Going back to Hebrews 8, verse 8. He says, but when God found fault with the people, he said that the day is coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. But I, I, I pass on, go back up to verse 7. This is where God says, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But there was fault with the covenant because why? It did not redeem people. It did not make people right with God. It did not justify. It did not bring them into relationship, but it, it just covered them for a while. So the new covenant is better. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day he's going to make a new covenant is coming. Now look at verse 9. The covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. I mean, that's, we see that throughout the Old Testament where he just let them go. Now, let's look at the benefits real quick, the benefits of the new covenant. I gave you some of the differences, but think about the benefits. Let me give these to you. I'm just going to read through the scripture and we'll highlight them. 810, he says, but this is the new covenant. But it, it, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. On that day, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 11. And they will not need to teach their neighbor, nor will they need to, be, to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know him, know me already. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sin. Now, think about those. There's, we read that real quick, and maybe you didn't see some of the, but there's several benefits here that I see, I see in the Scripture. There's four of them. He says, I will put my law in their mind and write them on their heart. 
Remember the, in the Old Testament, they had the, tone, the stone tablets. It was written on stone. The God is speaking of, no, I want you to know me. And I want you to know me. And I want to know you. And I'm going to write it on your heart. It's not going to be something abstract to put up on the wall. It's going to be, you're going to know me personally. And I'm going to write it in your heart. You're going to be a written epistle that declares the, the love of God and the grace of God. That's the, good, that's the thing. He said, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. That's a big difference in a stone tablet, isn't it? And then he says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. He's declaring his, his ownership, but he's also declaring, I want relationship. I want relationship. I don't want, to just, I don't want you just to, to, to be fearful of me and, and think that I'm out to, I want you to come in a relationship with me. I want to love you. I want you to understand what it is to walk in the Father's love. I want you to understand what it is to come close to me. So he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Now the next one is this. He says, they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord. You say, well, what does that benefit? Basically, as the study, I looked at this. Think about this. There will be no longer a need for a human priest to say, come know the Lord. There won't, there, there won't need a priest to mediate for you because Jesus is there already. No, there will be no need of somebody to stand between you and God, God and man. You will know him. Why? Because every man can now stand before God himself. Every man can come before God. Every person can now know God like a face-to-face relationship. Every person can approach God. How can they approach God? By the new covenant, through the mediator, through this new covenant, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can enter into his presence. We have been given access, church, into his presence. Think about that. And uh, you, you don't have to have a priest or anyone else stand between you and God and mediate for you any longer. Jesus. And that's what he said. And that's a great benefit for us. The Father wants us to come into his presence. And then the last one, I think this is huge. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sin. Man, I don't think, did you get that? I mean, I will never, I will forgive their wickedness. Think about the most rottenest, sinful thing you've ever done in your past. God says, that's forgotten. I've forgiven that. Anybody ever sit around and remind yourself of your past sins? And all of a sudden, you get in your prayer time, you try to say, God, uh, you know, I'm sorry for something you've already repented of. And God's saying, wait a second, what are you talking about? That's gone. That's under the blood. That's been covered in the blood of Christ. You're to walk in freedom. Don't, don't let condemnation keep you back from following what God has for you. Don't, don't sit there and say, well, you know, I, I can't do something because I have this in my past. Or I have that in my past. If it's under the blood, it's under the blood. If it's forgiven, he said, I'll never bring it up again. It is forgiven. I don't th- sometimes I don't know if we really understand what that means. But he says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sin. When Jesus, think about it, he's seated there in the throne with, the, with God. And God turns to look at you, and all of a sudden he sees you through the lens of Jesus. He sees you washed in the blood. He sees you cleansed. He sees you forgiven. He sees you as his child that he, he possesses. 
I don't know about you, but that's good stuff. I don't have to walk in guilt of the past. I can walk in the freedom that God has given me today. And so many people get hung up right here. They keep trying to go back and say, God, remember, remember, remember. And God said, what are you talking about? It's time to move forward. See, church, God's forgiven me. There's times in my life that I really tried to remind God of how bad I was. And I remember the time when I read this scripture many, many years ago. And it was a liberating scripture for me. That I didn't have, I realized my past does not determine my future with Christ. Christ has already taken care of it. And I'm not a wicked person. I'm not a sinful person. I am a child of God. And now look what he says. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means, look at this, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is, it is now out of date and will soon disappear. God says, there's, you are under a new covenant. And you know what, church? I would challenge you to get in and find out what the promises of God are under this new covenant. Those are benefits that God has given to us that we can, we can live by. But if you don't know what the benefits are of the new covenant, you, you're going to have a tendency to go back to the old ways. But get the word of God in your life. Amen? He says the new covenant means that the other one's obsolete. Anybody ever got any new, new clothes? Uh, yeah, we all have. I remember a time when I was a kid, I got, I got a new, new outfit. And I couldn't wait to wear that new outfit. I mean, I wanted it on. And when, when you put it on, you thought, oh, man, look how good I am. You know, you look good. But all of a sudden, you know, you don't want to go back to the old. You don't want to go back and put those old pair of jeans on. You don't want to go back and put those, those old torn up shoes on. And that's, the sad thing is we have something that is so fresh, so new in Christ. And God, he has it all for us. And we have this tendency to say, you know, I think I'll go back over here. God says, it's time to stay in the new covenant. Stay in relationship. Stay in relationship with him. That's what he wants. Amen. I pray that this word has spoken to your heart today. And just allow it to just be real in your life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Father, I shared today what I felt God you impressed on my heart for today. And God, I thank you that I'm not under the old covenant. I'm under a new covenant with you, God, that brings life, that brings liberty, that gives me freedom, that, Father, that lets me come into your presence. Even when I've, got, I've fallen down and I've made mistakes, I can come and through Jesus Christ and say, God, forgive me and cleanse me. And, God, you said you're, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we can go into your presence. I thank you for that today. And, God, I thank you, Lord, that I, I, I don't have to live by, with past guilt but God, I, I walk in freedom and liberty today because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory today in the name of Jesus.